sing that song, we, uh, we're affirming a truth, uh, one that we hold on to tightly because we need it badly. It's the truth that whatever's going on in our lives has met its match in Jesus Christ. How great is our God? It is more than words, more than song. It's a truth that we long for to be uh, in play in our lives. The earlier song we sang took us to um, the Son of God is on the move. Put those two together right now and just just take your seat quietly and and take that in for yourself personally. Would you do that? You who are at home, do the same thing there. Just take in the truth that the, that the God we are here to worship his name's Jesus Christ. He's truly great in every way. And we, we as humans have something in common, almost without exception. We have mountains in the way. We have problems that we face every day. But we've just sung about a God that says, I'm great. He even heard it come from your lungs, from your lips. He is a great God, and he's on the move. So would you just close your eyes right now, and right now, just in your own words, in your own way, tell him, Lord, I want to say it again, how great are you, my God, and how that applies to my situation or that of some friend of mine, a roommate, a family member, there's something big and intense and overwhelming, and I can't fix it, but you can, Lord. And I believe what I sang today, that you're the great God who's on the move. So I pray that I would go home today and see evidence that you truly are great and truly are on the move. And that this morning was part of that. I affirm these things. I need these things. And so I say them to you with affection in my soul. I love you, Jesus. And I love you that you're my great God. And you're on the move in my life. Thank you. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead the way in every single heart that belongs to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen and good morning, church. Good morning, and before we get too settled in here, um, I have a couple of very personal things. One, it's already happening without my prompting. Uh, kids are leaving. I don't, that, that came out wrong. Uh, 
I don't want them to leave. I love kids. But um, they have something even uh, greater next door, and it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to start carding people and deciding how old is a kid. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, so there we go, okay? Hey, um, can you um, just give me just a quick moment as your pastor and somebody that for quite a while has talked about um, the Mac 5. That would be the McCracken 5, myself and Debbie. And then we have uh, two daughters that live nearby. But you're, you're good at math and you've figured it out that there's five of us. And what does that mean? Um, and I'm not talking about the patriarch of the whole program, my dad, who makes it six. But there is one of us that has been 9,210 miles away until now. And that would be my son, our son, Trevor Charles. Come here for a sec. Trevor, just get up here. Come here, man. Totally. Hey, look at you. <laughs> what do you think, huh? He had no idea this was going to happen. He said, nothing fancy, Dad. No funny stuff. But uh, for those of you that are go going, wow, it's true. We, we are twins. Okay? It's true. An age difference. Which an age difference, right? <laughs> but Trev, you came home for getting your medical boards done here so you can return in May. And um, we're excited about that. They're excited because they've heard me whine and fuss for four years. <laughs> Where's my boy? Where's my boy? And I wave at you and do weird and awkward things. But you and I know we're connected and uh, Debbie too. And uh, you came for another reason. And that happens to be very personal to all of us in the Mac 5 as well. And that is, today is? Our mom's birthday. Yep, My there we go. <laughs> birthday girl. So, I love you. Have a seat. Don't leave because you're ticked uh, that, I, that I brought you up here. No, it's, um, it's good. And it's good that we're together today. And um, I, um, I'm so happy. I, I knew I would have a hard time kind of finding my place, so give me a second. Um, on top of that, my pad is misbehaving. So uh, let me just say uh, what a thrill it is to celebrate Little Deb. And um, it really is. And uh, she is um, she's someone that is easy to celebrate any time. But uh, today on her birthday, we're going we're gonna to have a blast. So anyway. Um, we're glad to be together and glad those of you that are in faraway places could be a part of this as well. And um, anyway, so um, last week we experienced um, firsthand a truth uh, that when God opens a door, uh, that life doesn't necessarily become a breeze for those who walk through that door. Uh, you probably can say that firsthand, that's true in your experience. The fact is, that's neither new uh, nor hidden from view. It was Jesus who said straight up, when people were swarming around him with a great interest of following him, and if I could put a motive in their heart, it would be simply that they wanted a, I mean, they knew he had game we would say today. They knew he was on to something. And the crowds came for a reason. And they wanted a part of that. They weren't quite sure the implications of that, but
but they were definitely in on it. And so Jesus, seeing crowds come around, said in lots of places um, these words that are kind of framed best by Luke in his gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, and you know them well. If anyone wants to be my follower, Luke put pen to paper recording Jesus' words. Anybody wants to be my follower, they must give up their own way, which, which is probably, if you were in the gathering that day, something you would pass over and keep moving. They must give up their own way. And then secondly, he said, you must, you must take up your cross daily, giving a sense that this wasn't just an occasional or a, a moment of emotion, but this was going to become an all-encompassing everything's in play kind of decision. And then he finishes his statement in Luke 9.23, and follow me. By the way, he said that, those two words, 87 times in the Gospels. So there's something, you know, you read something once, you're supposed to get it and hold it. Read it twice, you you get the sense that they mean it. Um, I'm having flashbacks to my childhood. Do not do that, Steve. And... (laughs) About the second time, depending on which parent I was around at that time, uh, one that was very humane and compassionate and one that uh, said I meant it. (laughs) uh, um, But you get that when somebody says something 87 times. So it's not a new idea um, that following Jesus would not be necessarily a breeze every day. Uh, In our travels up to this point in the book of Acts, where we've followed Paul and his missions team, uh, one night there was a vision. It's in chapter 16. I want you to open there right now if you can for a moment, because chapter 16, it gets us back to that vision. And um, the, the, the interest was great as a result of this mission that they had something they were called to go do. And they didn't wait long to uh, sort of double-check, triple-check, cross-check, whatever it is, to figure it out if they heard it right. It comes up in verse 9, and we've read it before, but during the night, Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia standing, and I picture him motioning like this, motioning and begging, come over to... Macedonia, he was on the west side of the Aegean Sea in this vision. Paul was on the east side in Troas, okay, we've we've got our bearings straight. And he says, come over here and help us. The very next words tell you that they didn't take a lot of time to ponder or contemplate. They simply moved into gear. Paul, had, after seeing this vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia without delay, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they did, that day. In fact, look on at verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samoth race. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis, which is just 10 miles from Philippi. So they booked, and I'm caught by the words, sailed straight. So they get on this boat, and for 150 miles, if you look at a map today, 
the distance between Troas and Neapolis, 150 miles, it says, on a sailboat, they sailed straight. Now, I don't have a long career sailing. Uh, one time we tried it in the San Francisco Bay and the Coast Guard had to rescue us. But anyway, <laughs> we, we were little children. I think I was four and my brother was... No, not, not exactly, but we were not seaworthy. And um, one thing I know, though, is to go from point A to point B, you usually have to zigzag. There's another word for it, some of you sailors. Tack. That's right. You go this way, catch wind, go this way. And it's a much longer and arduous effort to get from Troas to Neapolis. The Bible didn't miss a word here when it said they sailed, however, straight. Which is another way of saying, remember the Irish prayer from last week? May the wind always be at your back. Well, in this case, if you were on that boat, you'd go, holy smokes, listen, it's silent. If you've been on a sailboat like that, and I have, not when I was young, but as an adult, and we went from Long Beach to Catalina. It's so cool. That's what they were in. They, they're like, this is good. And if they are like us in any way, they're likely to say, this uh, this Jesus thing, what a deal. Look at us go. And they did for 150 miles. Um, but no sooner had they arrived in Philippi. By the way, I have to tell you this. Um, this week I was preparing my message on Tuesday, as I always do, the formal prep and write of my message. And um, I get a call from my dad. My dad says, hey, Steve, how's it going? We're just having a little chat. I think you remember this, Dad. We're having this little chat. He said, uh, what's coming up next? And I told him about this coming sermon, the one I'm delivering now. And he said, great. And I mentioned, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Philippi, but then we're going to move on to Thessalonica and then Berea. And then finally, the passage we'll finish with today is down in Athens, uh, southern part on the east side of, um, of Greece. And uh, he goes, oh, that sounds terrific, man. That's just going to be awesome. And he said these very words, don't forget to mention the first baker in Acts. I said, huh? <laughs> Is it lunchtime? Is he hungry? What's he thinking here? Huh? Who? And he, and he, and he says, you're kidding me. You don't know? Fill a pie. Let's give it up for him. That was huge. <laughs> Philippi. I'm not kidding you guys. That is, I, I didn't know the punchline, and I had to look at it again because it's, it's uh, different, uh, definitely. <laughs> Philippi. So in Philippi, no baker, by the way, Dad, but they, they met a woman. You remember her name, Lydia, Lydia. And she ended up giving her heart through this missions team to Jesus. And a short time later, after they just got there, it's so smooth, it's so good, this is great. Look at, she wins, they, she, they, they, Jesus wins this woman's heart and her household, and she's going to be a, 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 an influencer. 
for the gospel. That's the mission of a missionary, is it not? However, a serious storm was about to hit. We read about it last week. Paul and Silas were arrested, severely beaten and jailed on a cooked-up charge of causing a riot. Uh, I don't just want to tell you about it. You've got to read it again with me. Drop down to verse 20, same chapter. They brought them, Paul and Silas, before the magistrates. There's more than one crooked judge in the bunch. And said, these men are Jews who are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd gathered to hear all this, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely beaten or flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, which he did by putting them deep into seclusion, solitary, whatever you want to call it, the safest place in the jail to make sure these rioters, as they were charged with, stayed put and didn't get away. Um, folks, that is wrong. That should bother us. Now, I know it's a history lesson, right? But anytime we see somebody in power doing something that's, that's stinking wrong, it should stir in us. And, and indeed, um, that night behind the bars, the Holy Spirit said, look, Let's not forget, even though this is wrong, I'm in charge. I, I got this. These things seem out of control. The fact is, they're not. I'm in control, and I've got this. And he springs them from jail and sent them to share the message of salvation to who? A very shaken jailer who had a job at risk for his own life to keep them captive. Well, now they're loose. And they came to him for a reason, because God wanted to make a move like we sang about. And not only his heart, he wasn't standing, by the way, he was on his feet in front of them. And he, and, and he says, you know, he's, he's hearing out, we would say today, and and. And he meets Jesus, and then it says his entire household did. And it was a glorious moment. The next morning, the magistrates, and we, we, we're not sure why at all. It's not in the text, and I haven't heard a good explanation. But somehow, they decided to let them go. Not so fast, said Paul. So let's not... Let's not hurry ahead while um, um, we're going to be in chapter 17 in a second. Let's not hurry ahead without watching with pleasure as the magistrates eat crow. Okay? You with me? So you're ready for how chapter 16 ends. Verse 35 is where we left off. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Again, why? Don't know. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released so 
So now you can leave and, and, and go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, hold on a sec. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now they want us to go away quietly. No way. Tell them to come themselves and escort us out. This might be sinful pleasure in my heart right now, but I just love it when a powerful, crooked leader is about to go down. You ever felt that way? Please don't say names out loud, okay? Don't, just don't say them. Okay, so here we go. The officers report this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were all alarmed. So they came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave this. Do you hear the tone change? Please to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went down to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. But hold on, we need to take this in. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure if I've got a Bible verse for how I feel right now, um, but I'm smiling for a real good reason. Um, I, I, I let myself when I was studying this deeply as I do each week, I let myself listen to, to this exchange going on. And the words that finally stood out to me um, after sitting here for a while are words that I think explain some things. Let me, they're not, these two words aren't there. But when they said verse 37 and 38, what's recorded there? They had to say, they're what? They're what? Roman? Did you just say Roman citizens? <laughs> and the apostle said, yep. That's exactly right. We are. And yep, you're busted. Punk. Okay, this is going on. When you're a leader and you make a mistake and don't fess up as you should, as these magistrates didn't, there's a moment here that, that you've got to celebrate. Notice verse 38 says they were alarmed. It's a really strong word, I'll say. There's videotape of a, of a crime committed by judges against, hold on a sec, Roman citizens? We would say today, I'm American. You can't do that to me in this country. So they were told, verse 39, they appeased them. You know what appeased means? Um, give them whatever they need or want. Help them to feel differently and warmer towards you after what they put you through. So it kind of went like this. They came to them, it's not recorded here, but it's in the Greek someplace, um, that 
Well, would, good morning, fellas. Would you, would you fellas care for fresh baked scones with your morning coffee? That's appeasing. And they're just like, hearts are beating fast, palms are sweaty. They're, they're, this is bad. And they do this, they, they placate the disciples in the presence of everybody. We are so, so sorry. And you should be. The likely reason Paul didn't go away quietly was to send a message. You're probably guessing that. To, to send a message that we're not just going to roll over. He was putting them on notice that the next time, the next time, you turkeys pull something like this on us, we're going straight to Rome. There's blowback here, y'all. That's why I'm spending enough time on this. There's a place as a believer in Jesus to stand up and press forward and not blink. I know we hear all the other side, but we need to start looking at how Jesus handled uh, bad leaders. Uh, so they eventually leave. And they stop off to say goodbye, we mentioned that in verse 40, to Lydia, and then they head southwest from where they are. They're in Philippi, remember? And um, they head southwest um, to, uh, from Philippi to Thessalonica. And that's where chapter 17 opens. It's about a 100-mile trip, if you were to look at a map today. Uh, with a couple of pit stops along the way, it probably took them about three days to get there. Look at verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis, which was one of the stops, and Apollonia, they came then to Thessalonica. It's a port city. We're not told how long the trip took, but like I said, it was, it was fairly quick. Um, but two realities we know for certain. The and, and one of them, and they, these two realities are present in these people, the missionaries. The first reality was very positive. But the second was painful. Both came at them from Philippi, where we just spent some time. The first, the positive, they were exonerated. I mean, they, they stood up, they spoke out, and they were exonerated by the people that needed to exonerate them. The officials in Philippi were glad to see them go. And, and if you walk that in your mind a little bit further, you find new energy. You're like, all right. And I'll move on with boldness and with commitment and conviction. And so that's a positive. But the painful, let's not forget that. Only days earlier, they were beaten senseless. They were, that means uh, when it says flogged severely, we read that, it, it means they were bloodied and a mess. Remember I said they traveled 100 miles? I can't imagine doing that uh, without a car. You know, that's Eugene from here, y'all. I mean, that's a long ways, but to do it on foot after you got 
knocked senseless. And, you, and you're torn up. Not just from the walk, but from what happened to you before you took the walk. That's what's going on here. So then they arrive in Thessalonica, and that's a big deal. Thessalonica stands out today. It always has been. It's a very, very impressive place and a desirable place for people to live or see there on the shore of the Aegean in South Greece, a Roman province in that day. And they stop uh, for a bit and are filled with possibilities in their mind immediately. They're in this brand new place. They have a message that is absolutely life-changing and it's a great God story and it tells people whatever you're going through, God will go through it with you. He's on the move like we talked about today and they spend not a day or two but actually three weeks there and here's how it went down. Verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and raise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, Paul said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a fairly large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Reading on, verse 5, but other Jews, not so much. They were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, and they formed a mob and started a riot in the city of Thessalonica. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. You can assume what they wanted to do with them. But when they did not find them, they instead turned on Jason, the owner of this house, and we really don't know anything else about him. But they turn on Jason and some other believers from the city officials, shouting, these men who've caused trouble from all over the world have now come to our city. And Jason, one of our own, has welcomed them into his home. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd blew up. The city was thrown into turmoil. And they made Jason post bond before letting them go. Uh, we're told that Paul did something in verse 2. Uh, right away after first day in the synagogue of three, so three Saturdays in a row on Sabbath, they went, he went there. And he, in the synagogue, which was his custom, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So, He's explaining to the Jews, watch this now, this is the reasoning because that's his audience. He's explaining to them that Jesus was in fact the Messiah prophesied from long ago in the Old Testament. All of a sudden Jewish listeners perk up because that's, that's like their native tongue, the Old Testament, if you will. That's where they get their facts and information. And they, as soon as you say Isaiah, they know who you're talking about. And that is largely Paul's approach to a mostly Jewish audience. And it would have great 
attractiveness to Jews in the synagogue here in Thessalonica, schooled in the Old Testament. But there's a problem with that. And it comes up when they explain that Isaiah, who was talking about the suffering Messiah, was actually talking about Jesus. Now they're putting a connection together that was just not, oh, there wasn't a, probably a person in the crowd that went, oh, why didn't you say so? How come I didn't know that? No, there was great, profound resistance, verse 3. Um, he's explaining and proving Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So I'm going to let you decide something right now, okay? I'm going to read you words from Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. Just put that in your notes. It's in the notes already that you received when you came in. But these notes describe what Paul likely preached on in the synagogue those three Sundays in Thessalonica. And he's reading from Isaiah 53. He grew up, Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Still quoting from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. That was their conclusion. Must have been a bad guy. Had it coming. We considered him punished by God, stricken by God, afflicted by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. End quote. Who was he talking about? I think most Gentiles would say, well, that's an easy answer. But it wasn't easy to that audience. And what was the impact? Some of the Jews which is really saying a lot in verse 4. We just read it. Some of the Jews were persuaded. And many, which is a larger number, of Gentiles were persuaded as well. Other Jews, this is a more expected response, were jealous and, and sought to inflict harm on Paul, verse 5 tells us, for saying such things. Uh, so they gather a group of troublemakers, we're told, and whip, whip the crowd into a mob and start a riot. And, and they go to the house of Jason where they had heard that these guys were staying and they cased the place and um, presumably searched it and found no evidence of them there. Uh, so they're, they're not there. Um, but the one that was there is the owner of the house named Jason. And they decide that they're going to hold him uh, responsible. So here's the deal. I want you to think of irony for a minute here. As, we, as we're capturing this idea. The, the story of the mob, the story that the mob was telling 
You ready for this? Was true. It was true. In two ways it was true. These disciples, missionaries we've called them in our journey in Acts, these people were telling, traveling around, telling people that in fact there is another king besides Caesar, and his name is Jesus. That is true. There's a second piece of irony here, though, and, and, and this news would be troubling if you didn't believe that Jesus was, in fact, another king. Think about that. They're forbidden. Caesar's the king. And these people are traveling around saying, no, there's another king. And that is insurrectionist talk. That's destabilizing stuff. Um, and Peter, who's one of Jesus, we focused a lot on him at the beginning of Acts, he spent time in his own letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about the impact of learning there's another king besides Caesar. The impact of, of discovering that, that Isaiah was talking about a Messiah that is Jesus. There's impact there. There's, there's, a, there's a, 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 an impact to the listener. His words. These are Peter's words now from 1 Peter 2. In the scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in that stone, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has in fact become the most important stone, the cornerstone. And listen to this, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Indeed, that was happening in synagogues along the way. Um, so we come to a place in this story where there was no closure or conclusion to this matter. The city leaders simply make Jason post bond and say, look, we're going to confiscate your home if, um, if we can't, you know, you'll lose your property unless the peace remains. So, perhaps sensing, I'm speculating now, that the matter could morph quickly into something much worse, the believers made a move. Remember, they had been there three weeks. They make a move to send Silas and Paul from Thessalonica under the cover of darkness to a city further south named Berea. And that's what verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12 actually described to us. Look with me. As soon as it was nighttime, the believers went, well, we got we to do something here. There's probably an air, a, a, a feel in the air that this is going to go bad. It's going to turn into riots and they're going to get beat, maybe killed this time. So the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean 
Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying, uh, what he was saying was true. Um, as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. You see what these Jews now in Berea, what, what they're doing differently than Thessalonica and other places? They're more noble, we're told. They have this certain um, uh, spirit about what they're hearing. And they're, they're hearing the same message. It's the message of salvation through Jesus, the one Isaiah talked about. So instead of rejecting it or, or reacting in a sort of an emotional, charged way, they, they, they hear it, they take it in, and they're, we're, we're told they're open-minded and, may I use the word teachable? They're saying, hold on a sec. There's something here when they heard Paul's message. They're, can I use the expression today? They're connecting the dots. Let's, really? That's Jesus? And we're told in verse 11, they listened with great care to the message of salvation through Jesus presented by Paul. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, maybe for some hearing me today, even in other places, maybe you need to hear it again. That Jesus is the message of salvation. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was excluding all other ways, all other truth, and all other sources of life. Was he not? Uh, we're pluralistic to the core today. What I'm saying right now is offending some. Remember, stone of stumbling, rock of offense. 1 Peter 2, I get that. But that doesn't keep me from saying it, nor does it hopefully keep people from going, well, wait a second. He's not some rookie hack. He must know what he's talking about a little bit. Not everybody says that about me, but... Um, and maybe you go, hold on. What could Isaiah be talking about? He, 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 he. That's not a... A laugh. It's talking about somebody who was despised and rejected. Who died on the cross for things he didn't do. And who died on that cross saying, I did it for you. Um, they did something I want to affirm in our Grace Point family. Uh, I've always loved the Bereans. Every church has a Berean class, right? Um, and it's a Sunday school class. We had one at the church I came from. It was like three or 400, 500, I think. And a lot of people wanted to be in that class. And what made them stand out is they were people that were serious students of the word. They wanted to go deeper in God. I should tell you this. Most of them had been alive for like 100 or 110 years. They were, they were people that knew this stuff for a long, long time, but they came at it with hearts of interest and hunger. 
saying, I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want to see how that works in my life. And so they did that. And that's what we're, dis- what we're hearing the scriptures point out in these Bereans. They were more noble or open-minded, and they were teachable. Um, this is both a tribute to the Bereans, those people, and it was also a tribute to the teachers, Paul, Silas. You have Luke and Timothy here too, but the two are mentioned, Paul and Silas. Um, here's what I want to say to us. There's some really great Bereans at Grace Point. Uh, it, it's really cru- cool. You, you, not cruel, it's cool. You listen really well, and you, you hear. And, and you leave here. Uh, sometimes you accidentally leave a note sheet, and I go, wow, they actually took notes. And they go, and you go home, and I know this because you tell me about this. This is what God said at a deeper level. I went further. We have go further notes, right? And you, and you did that, and you looked up these other scriptures. Some of you in a life group. You're being Berean-like. And then you cross-check what I'm saying. That's no offense to me at all. If I'm wrong, I want to hear about it. I want to correct it. But... But it's really a good thing, a quality that you have. And you're doing it because you want to make sure you heard it correctly. What a great spirit to have. I want to thank you for that. And, and here's the deal. If you're not in the practice of examining the scriptures on your own as they did, you know how I'm going to finish the sentence. Start it today. Just grab that little sheet. I got mine in my Bible always. And it's laminated so if I spill coffee it's not a problem and it has every day's reading for the whole year I'm going to have the whole Bible that whole puppy will be read this year do this so many how many are doing this right now that's so cool amen give yourself a hand okay that's a good thing all right and I know some of you online are doing the same thing so keep it up keep keep being that kind of people um and you know, the result of listening well in God's word is verse 12. I mean, what's, what's not to love about the fact that their lives were changed? Great numbers of people believed. That means they came to salvation in Jesus. And may that continue in your life and in other lives that you care about. Um, so quickly here at the end, if you've been involved in something special, where, where God used you, and through you, you look back and say, you know what, those people were touched, and some of them transformed. And I was humbled enough to be part of that, part of the delivery system, if you will, where that occurred in people's lives. If you've ever had that experience, raise your hand, where God used you somehow, and you, you know, they, 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 somebody told you that. It's a good thing. And, um, and if you've had that happen, you have this thing inside you that wants it to keep going. You just want it to keep happening. I had that experience at Tadmore many, many years ago, a camp that our church is associated with. And I went there mostly to be near my dad because he was gone all summer and really busy with the camp. And I, I went there just to kind of hang out with dad. And I remember the first summer I went there, 
it was like I was just planning to kind of hang out and eat good food and, um, you know. And, and he said, no, go, why don't you go connect with one of the counselors? And I did. And I, and I liked it. And then the next summer I came back again. And I, and I was there the whole summer and I had my own cabin, the Santee Am cabin. It's named after the river. And all these campers, hundreds of them during the summer that came into my cabin were known as the Sandy Am slobs. It was a perfect thing. It's perfect. And every week, you got kids coming to Jesus. They're going, wow. And they look at, you know what they're doing? They're saying, if it made that difference in your life, I want it to make that difference in my life. And, it, and, I, and I went home. At the end of camp, I... I I needed therapy. I could not leave. I did not want to go back to the world. I wanted to be here where people were hungry and alive. Um, I think that's how the disciples are feeling here, the missionaries. They're like, this is so cool. Um, so that makes the words we're going to finish with so sad. Verse 13, so sad. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, what is wrong with that? Some of them went there too and agitated the crowds and stirred them up. So you getting this? They came from Thessalonica. They hunted them down 10 miles away in Berea. And they got there, and they stirred up the crowd and agitated the crowd. And the believers in this moment immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. The troublemakers had arrived. They must have heard somewhere that Paul's down there and in Berea and he got his, he's got his preach on. And he's, he's probably going to stir things up there too and convert people or something. So local believers in Berea moved quickly and sent them away. And um, by the way, they sent them 140 miles south. So keep following this on a map and you come to Athens, which is where verse 15 ends and he sends back news listen as soon as possible send the others here we need them to come remember the man chapter 16 verse 9 the man that said come come to Greece come to Macedonia with the gospel and that caused team Paul to come. Remember that start of this whole thing? We've covered it again this morning. Aren't you glad that Paul and Silas, then Timothy, and even Luke all went there, concluding where we started here today, that God must be calling us there? I want to join in that. I was at Tadmore three years. My third summer was altogether different. The fruit was slow. The impact was less. 
And it had a very different effect on me. And I remember my wise dad, because I was like, oh, I've lost it. I've lost it. It's not working anymore. I don't have a preach. And my dad said, son, he basically preached this sermon. There I admitted it. Okay, I'm preaching your stuff, dad. So, uh, but, but he did. He said, you know, Steve, sometimes it's smooth sailing. Sometimes it's hard. You meet resistance. There's pushback. Who knew it was going to be smooth sailing one day and hard beatings the next? Fact is, that's how ministry is. That's how life is. And that's exactly why Jesus said what he said. You want to come after me? Let's go to Disneyland, dude. No. It, it's going to take a lot for you to do that. As, as we've seen, some of the sailing can actually not be smooth at all. It could be rough, really rough. If you want stories of rough, somebody email me this week and let's talk. Because I want you to see it's both. I can say that and I think mean it after 30 years. Um, but here's the takeaway uh, it may get rough and even really rough, but God's with you. God is with you. Seems to me that that's an accurate ongoing view of everything about walking with God. Close your Bibles, would you now? And would you keep your ears open but your eyes closed as you bow your heads? And I want you to imagine this. I think this is how it's going to go for your life and mine. The lights are going to come down for you to just have some time to contemplate and sort of put some things together in your heart. So God comes and knocks on your door. And he knocks, you get up, and you go to the door and you open the door. You answer his knock. And he says, let's go. And, I, and I'll show you where. And you quickly put some things together and put them in a bag and you're out the door at once. He came, it was Jesus, clearly, and he knocked and you answered and you head out the door. You want to do something for God, bring glory to him. And, and yep, at the beginning you, you enjoy a first summer at Tadmore, smooth sailing followed by rough seas. But here's the deal. You don't give up. And you don't give in. And you don't go away. You walk with Jesus day by day, following him. And as a result, you come away with good in your life. And he receives the glory. Lord, I Need You is a great song. It's a song, I think, I'm going to label it, a song for everyone he uses. So take it in right now. Hold on to this song. 